In a national disaster, many people may be in need of medical care, but who is going to go to work to deliver that care? You're listening to ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Linda Cruz, an assistant professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine at Temple University in Philadelphia. Dr. Cruz has a PhD in clinical psychology and is the director of research for emergency medicine at Temple University School of Medicine. And she is the chair of the Emergency Response Workgroup of CPREP. Today we're discussing healthcare workers and who is going to come to work in a disaster. We're glad to be able to talk with you today, Dr. Cruz. Welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Now, first of all, tell our listeners and myself, what is the Emergency Response Workgroup of CPREP, and what are some of your roles and responsibilities there? Well, CPREP is the Center for Preparedness, Response, and Practice, which is based at Temple University. It is a university-wide interdisciplinary research center, and it also partners with state and local government agencies and emergency response organizations to study and improve Pennsylvania's emergency preparedness. Now, I play a number of roles within CPREP, including being the chair of its emergency response work group. Many of our work group members sit on the emergency preparedness committees for Temple's health system and hospital as well. As a result of all these different perspectives, we're actively engaged in conducting research that can hopefully enhance our preparedness activities in a very real and timely manner. Now, you conducted a study that was presented at the 2007 SAEM meeting, Society for Academic Emergency Medicine, and this looked at why healthcare workers will or will not show up for work and some of the reasons behind that. What led to this study? Many of the members of CPREP's emergency response work group are physicians in the emergency department here at Temple as well. We were looking to develop a study that would be meaningful to how emergency response operations are put in place in a very timely manner. Dr. Dave Karras is one of the study's co-authors, and he actually first suggested the idea. There had been a little bit of work done in this area, and we felt that we could make a significant contribution to the literature in an, in an immediate and useful way. And the timing was good because there was a call for proposals through CPREP to apply for some state Department of Health funding, which we were able to obtain. So you got good funding for this study? Yes, we did. How did you go about conducting this study? How was it set up? Well, this is a prospective survey study of healthcare workers that were selected from five hospitals in the Philadelphia area. The participants in the study were self-identified through a variety of procedures, things like presentations at departmental meetings to let them know the study was going on, brief announcements on hospital floors, flyers, etc., the survey instrument that we created utilized a combination of video and written material to present three hypothetical disaster situations. The first one was a public riot, the second was an infectious disease outbreak, and the third was a regional power grid outage. Now, for each vignette, participants were presented with, as I said, the video of relevant news footage, as well as written and narrated descriptions of each disaster scenario. We did that to present the person with a vignette that would be as real as possible so they could, you know, get information through many of their senses. So how do you know that the, everybody answered honestly? I mean, they were anonymous and, you know, they had no reason not to tell the truth of who would show up for work and who wouldn't? Yeah, well, we tried to tackle this issue in a couple of ways. First of all, all of the surveys were completely anonymous. There was no information that was collected that someone could later go back and say, oh, you know, 
after looking at the data, I knew who that person is. The data was also collected in a very private area by our research coordinator, who was careful to do things like separate the informed consent forms from the surveys immediately, again, to protect everybody's identity. And we also paid the participants a small incentive, so hopefully that would help them to be as honest as possible. And lastly, the thing that we tried to do was to stress the importance of all of this work to the participants. And the feedback that we got from them after they took the survey was that they did feel that it was important and they were hopeful that it would help to improve the emergency response plans here within our, our health system and at their hospitals. Now, did the type of disaster influence the response? Because you gave them several scenarios, correct? That's true. From the literature, we know that the type of disaster does influence response. For example, if there's a snowstorm or some type of natural disaster, folks are more likely to come in for something like that than a radiologic threat, like a dirty bomb or, or something along those lines. Now, in this particular study, we created three scenarios that we thought would represent an equally serious amount of threat to the individual while still being realistic. And what we found was that in the riot scenario, 40% of individuals said that they would be willing to show up and would be able to show up. Another 40% said that. For the illness scenario, 35% said they would be willing to come in and about half said that they would be able to. So more individuals would be able to show up for work than would actually be willing to come in. This was infectious illness? This was a mysterious infectious disease, correct. And in the power outage scenario, again, 40% said that they would be willing to come in and 40% said that they would be able. So there was a slight difference, and the biggest discrepancy between someone's willingness and actual ability to come in showed up with the infectious disease vignette. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Linda Cruz, and we're discussing coming to work in a disaster, who's going to show up and why. Dr. Cruz, were there differences in the responses of men and women? Have you looked at that? Actually, we found that there were minimal differences between men and women across each of these scenarios. In essence, men were as likely as women to come in or not come in in each of these vignettes. As a psychologist, can you account for that, or does it have more to do with the, the roles that they play in the hospital? My thought about this is that it probably has more to do with the roles that they play, although we are presently doing some more fine-grained analysis looking at the exact decision-making process that individuals take, and we may find, and we actually would expect to find some differences there. Now, what about training? I'm interested in that. Were people that were trained in disasters more likely to come to work? We found, again, no differences there, but that might also be influenced by the fact that only about 65% of our sample said that they had received any disaster training, and the majority of which had said that their training was limited to an awareness level training. Now, was this, when you said, we said healthcare workers, but were these emergency healthcare workers or this was all throughout the hospital? This actually included about half of our sample was clinical staff, including doctors and nurses. Another 30% about was support staff, including transport, housekeeping, clerical staff, et cetera. And then about 25% was administration. And what about ability? Was there any correlation between ability, what you're doing in the hospital, and your willingness to come to work? Well, we defined ability as having the information, skills, and or resources to be able to work. 
whereas willingness to come in was being mentally ready and motivated to work. We found those two things to be highly correlated with one another. So the more willing you were, the more able you felt that you were to come in, you know, and vice versa. The more able you were to come in, the more willing you were to come in. Was there correlation between family, your family situation, outsiders or family people that you have to take care of? Was that significant? We actually found that individuals reported a number of family-related barriers to work, including child care, elder care. A lot of individuals said that they had spouses that needed to come to work at the same time. So if they relied on their spouse, for example, to provide child care when they were working and that spouse was also called in, then obviously that would create a bit of an issue. So those things did come into play. However, over and above everything else, the biggest predictors of someone's willingness or ability to come into work in any of these scenarios were, number one, anticipated effectiveness on the job. So did you think that when you showed up for work during these crisis conditions that you would be able to do your job and do it well? And the second strongest predictor was your perceived importance of one in your role during that crisis situation. So did you think it was important for you to come in and to provide service to individuals? Now, do you think people that have been in charge in hospitals in recent years, and I lived in Florida through many hurricanes, et cetera, and we have 9-11 and Katrina, people that are doing the planning, do you think they take these things into account? So I guess what I'm really asking, is your study kind of one of the first looking at these factors, or have other people looked at this before? There has been a bit of research investigating some of these factors, and this study provides further support for those for that work. But I think the biggest take-home message for this one is that, you know, when emergency planners and policymakers do their work, the things that they need to take into account are really addressing the workers' perceptions and expectations about their role in disaster response. So they know what they're going to do, they know why it's important, and they know that they're being valued as a worker. And ways that they can do that are by putting into place policies, again, and procedures to support the worker. So creating a safe work environment, helping the worker to feel valued, perhaps financial incentives may work in some cases, providing childcare or help the individual problem solve ways that they can address some of these barriers. Were there any surprises in your research? Anything that you as a psychologist maybe you weren't expecting to see? Well, I think the, the strongest surprise was actually the fact that Perceived effectiveness and importance were consistently by far the strongest predictors of whether or not anybody is willing or able to come into work. So that goes above and beyond any demographic variable that we looked at. It goes above and beyond any individual other psychological variable and so forth. So those are the two key things. So, you know, again, what disaster planners need to do, disaster response planners need to do, are to make sure that their workers know why they're important and why their participation is important and that they are a valued member of the team. So how do you do that if you're running an office or a practice or an ER? How do you make that person feel that they're they're not just effective but that they're perceived as effective? I mean, that's more than an evaluation or support, right? Well, one thing that our, our study showed was that folks were only somewhat aware of the disaster plans at work with the administrators being significantly more aware of what's going on than the frontline workers. So that's a good place to start. 
you know, number one, just meeting with folks on a face-to-face level, make sure everybody knows what their specific roles are, you know, telling them that their role is important, how it fits into the overall scheme of the healthcare system or the hospital system. They need to know the facts, procedures, protocols, policies, and to practice each of these things so that they feel comfortable in that role. And you can encourage workers to develop a family response plan that considers barriers like child care or their own personal health care. Dr. Cruz, thank you for being my guest today. We've been discussing coming to work in a disaster, who's going to be there and why. And I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions on this or any segment, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.